Welcome to the Imago Day Community Podcast. Good morning, Imago Day. How are you? Good. Yeah. Just to put a little bit emphasis on that, um, I hope that every one of you at some point goes through refuge. It is. Uh, it is not for some special category of people. It is for every single one of us um, to go and do deeper work in our life where, where at some point we need to do that work. some point we need to go back to go forward um, and, and to address those hard places where oftentimes we ignore. And so if you haven't had a chance to go through it, I would so encourage you to go through it. Um, Turn with me to Hebrews chapter four. We're going through Hebrews four. This is the Sunday of the year where I make Super Bowl jokes and nobody laughs because nobody here watches football, um, which has been the case for 22 years. So I don't know, should I? No, I don't think I will. Um, I mean, most of the people watching the game didn't come today. What, but you're at home, and I just want to say, good job, right? Like, getting the wings ready. I got it. I got it. Jeannie and I started betting during the playoffs this year. And um, the playoffs were a few weeks ago. And we bet big. We bet $100 a game. Um, yeah, I know what you're thinking, but it all comes out of the same account. And more than likely, <laughs> more likely nobody's going to get paid. But... It created a, a great amount of incentive. And um, I, so she bet primarily based on the colors and the names of the teams. And um, surprisingly, she kicked my butt the first week. It was, it was pretty embarrassing. I was down 400 bucks. Um, and then the next week, I triumphed quite, uh, quite happily. Um, she's in trouble going into the Super Bowl. Let's just say that. Uh, I'm, you can pray for Jeannie. She's, uh, she has this thing where she likes to double or nothing. And so it could be bad. It could be really bad. Um, she's, she's got a $500 bet going with me. And, I, you know, it could, it could even her out. Or she could be getting payday loans or something in it. And... I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen, but uh, pray for her. Pray for, pray for my wife. Uh, okay, you don't really get the jokes, but let's cut that from the podcast, and we're going to jump right into the, the message here. Good morning, Imago Day. <laughs> so good to be with you today. Are you hungry for the Word of God? Me too. Okay. So we've been going through this series of Hebrews, and um, today we're just going to look really at two verses, but they're two verses that come on the ends of a passage that we looked at last week. And so as we've talked, the book of Hebrews is being written to this community of Jewish believers in Rome, and, and probably a very a very small kind of marginalized community of Jewish believers. But the temptation that they're having is to sort of walk away from Jesus as the Messiah and to pick up the cause of, of basically going to war against Rome. Rome has 
been consistently uh, antagonistic towards both the Jewish and Christian people. And there is a movement within Rome during the time of this writing uh, to set up God's Jewish kingdom on earth. And, And the writer warns in the passage above, and we talked about it last week, the danger of not persevering in faith, not seeking that final and full rest that God has given us in Jesus, but rejecting, essentially rejecting Jesus as our Messiah and finding a false rest to grab onto, some false sense of freedom that we think we'll finally be able to find rest, we'll finally be able to find a sense of peace, For them, it was to set up this Jewish kingdom where their their faith, their history, their ethnicity could finally be recognized and realized. And so victory uh, during the Judean war would have meant great things for the Jewish people. And yet the writer is warning them that if they were to reject Jesus and to go back there, they would be like the people during Moses' time that rejected going into the promised land and ended up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. They failed to enter God's rest. For us, that looks like anything and any issue that we seek to latch on to that, that becomes a way for us to avoid persevering, avoid suffering, avoid long-suffering for our faith. It could be latching on to some political ideology. It could be latching on to some, some other thing, like whatever it is, left, right, wherever, we're looking for a false rest to establish ourselves as we're finally at peace here in this moment. And the writer says, if you go that direction, you are in danger of missing out on God's Sabbath rest that awaits you. And so the question is, what do we do? What do we do if we find ourselves in this moment where there are temptations on every side to give up on this Jesus is my king, my savior, my Messiah, and find some other way, some other path, some other ideology to find rest for myself? What do I do? with those temptations. And this is where, verses 14, 15, 16 of chapter four, this is what the writer tells us to do. So read along with me. He says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize or sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. 
Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The writer points to Jesus and says, Jesus is our great high priest. Now, in Israel, the role of the great high priest was that they would be appointed annually once a year. And their job was on the Day of Atonement, or they would go into the Holy of Holies, and they would make sacrifice and atonement for the people. They would first atone for their sin, then they would atone for the sin of the people. And essentially what they were doing in that Holy of Holies, in fact, they would tie a string around their leg in case they died in the presence of God. They just, they didn't want them like rotting in there so they could be like, right? Um, So it wasn't, you weren't necessarily like, yes, I'm the great high priest this year. You're like, oh, okay, go ahead, tie it around my leg. All right, here I go. And... But what they're doing is they're ministering in that place. They're they're standing uh, between the people and God, and they're ministering on behalf of the people. And the writer is saying that our great high priest is actually ministering for us up in heaven, that he has ascended into heaven. Now, if you've ever had a priest or a minister or a pastor or a counselor or a doctor, you know that that anyone that is ministering to you or caring for you, it is always predicated, like their ability to really care for you is predicated on their ability to relate to you as a person. Um... There's nothing worse than sort of sharing your problems or your issues with someone who has no clue what it's like. And, um, and, and they, they, they want to help. And they, so they, they give you all kinds of advice, which is not helpful most of the time. And then when you find somebody who shares that situation it's almost like you don't even have to help each other. You can just be with each other. Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, you know, raising, um, like having, having a genetic arthritis disease. Like I've been wrestling with that for eight, eight, ten years. Like when I'm with someone who shares those kind of diseases, we just like, okay, I get it. And when we're with someone who doesn't, it's like, have you tried to eat like fennel leaves or, you know, and you're like, yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. So it's, it's that kind of like, do do they get me? Have they been through what you have been through? And the writer is saying that Jesus, who has been through what we've been through, is also serving right now as your minister, your great high priest in heaven on your behalf. And therefore, in the midst of these moments where you are tempted to grab on to false rest and false movements and all these other things, hold 
firmly to the faith you profess. That's the answer. But the truth is, if we're, if we're just shooting straight, one of the things that I struggle with at least is the question, knowing Jesus is up there in heaven, I often like wonder, okay, like what good is he up there when I am falling apart down here? Like, how do I hold firmly to my faith when he is victorious in heaven and I am down here barely able to keep it together? And I I think it's a question that most of us walk around with, maybe unspoken. And so we we can try to dig down deep or try a little harder, thinking we can muster up some strength and maybe it works for a little while. Or we have good days, or we have bad days, and, and, but then we're here again, right? It's almost like a cycle. Weak in faith, weak in will, weak in desire, weak in our ability to fight temptation. And then, and then for me, and I think for some of us, we get embarrassed by it or ashamed of it or, or because it, we just don't like not being good or we don't like being weak, we ignore it. And then we look for somewhere else we can be strong, somewhere outside of faith, like work or um, entertainment, or I jump onto those other kingdoms or ideologies, somewhere where I'm not reminded that I am weak, where I'm not reminded that in and of myself I'm called to hold firmly to my faith, but my grip is so weak. And so what, what sometimes we do is we just loosen our grip. We grab on to some other belief that doesn't require so much holding on to. Another way, another path, another choice that doesn't flow against the grain, that doesn't require perseverance and standing firm, that, that we can just flow with the way things are. It's not as difficult as the Jesus path. What do I do when he's up there in heaven, victorious, great high priest, but I'm down here buckling under the weakness of myself, just trying to hang on to my faith? And I want to talk about four things that Jesus does as our great high priest that I, that I think changes our situation uh, today out of this passage. The first is this. The first is Jesus empathizes or sympathizes with us. Uh, you, can, you see where he says that. We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but one But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. When Jesus, as our high priest in heaven, is also our human priest, like God became flesh and dwelt among us. And when Jesus was tempted by the devil, that wasn't the extent of his temptation, 
And yet that temptation was real. He experienced it. And and he experienced the fullness of human temptation. And much of the temptation, as much as it was temptations of the flesh, like things that you and I desire, appetites, lusts, longings, but it was also a temptation to not have to persevere. Like, you can be king of all these kingdoms right now, just worship me. In other words, you can be a king of the kingdoms of the world without the cross, without suffering, without the narrow path. Jesus knows what it means to persevere and suffer in faith, believing that the resurrection is true and his kingdom is coming. And so not only does he understand our, our temptations, but he understands our weakness. Because he also was weak in that temptation with the devil. It says the angels had to come to minister to him. The night that he was betrayed, he prayed in the garden that he could avoid the cross. God, if there's any other way, let this cup, meaning this cup of suffering, this cup of crucifixion, this cup where that you and I will drink later in the service, this cup where his blood is shed for us, if there is any other way to redeem and reconcile creation, let it pass from me to the point where he is sweating blood he knows human weakness which means that he can relate to you it means he gets it it means he is the most compassionate sympathetic effective minister that you're ever going to meet He is the ultimate pastor, the ultimate counselor, the ultimate physician, the ultimate whatever. He, he gets you. And that, that means a lot. It means that you will never find yourself in a place of weakness that Jesus doesn't understand. That's a huge point. The second one is he was tempted, but he didn't give in to sin. Now, why does that matter? One, he shared our temptation, just like we talked about, but he didn't didn't give in, meaning he overcame. So, So what that means is that he knows the pain of it that you and I go through, but he also knows the way out. See, this passage isn't just about when we sin, we can go to him and find forgiveness, but it's primarily a passage that says when you're weak and you're tempted to grab hold on to another kingdom, that's when you go to him in that weakness so that he can strengthen you so you don't have to give in. When Jesus took on our humanity, he took on 100% true humanity. 
And the fact that he didn't sin is what makes him the perfect eternal high priest. Because he didn't have to offer sacrifice for his own sin. But he could offer sacrifice for all of our sin. And when he did that, not only did he offer the sacrifice, but he became it. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of God. So not only does he get you because he's been there, but he also never gave in to it, which means he knows the pain, but he also knows the way out. Number three, his empathy or sympathy is your confidence in approaching God's throne. Listen to what he says, the writer says. In 15, we don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weakness. Jesus has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he didn't sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. I don't know about you, but, but when I am at my weakest, it, it is the time where I am obviously the least confident. It's not the time that I wanna, those, those aren't the places in my life that I wanna flout or uh, kind of show everybody. And it's definitely not the time where I feel like I should be able to approach God. But the writer of Hebrews is flipping the script on us. And he's saying, actually, when you are at that point of weakness, that is the time where you can find confidence to approach God because Jesus is at his most empathetic with you. And so your confidence in approaching him is Jesus looks at you and he feels for that weakness. And as your minister, he's like, oh, I get it. Now come to me, come to me. Since we have this kind of minister, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence. Now, for the Hebrew mind, that was, um, that was almost blasphemous, right? That, that an individual, anybody in the church could simply approach the throne of God. And yet, you and I, because of the work of Christ, are invited to approach the throne of grace with confidence. And the reason we can do that is because Jesus went from the cross to the grave and ascended into heaven, meaning he knows our weakness because he was that weak. And so it's not that even though we want to run and hide and ignore our weakness, but we need to, when we're in that weak spot, that's the point for us to be confident 
that Jesus gets us. Like that's where our confidence needs to be in Jesus. He knows where I'm at. He knows how I felt. He has empathy for me. I need to go to him. Gary Friesen, who prays more than anybody I know, and is one of our elders who is actually a missionary. He's on mission in, in uh, Rwanda right now. He wrote this post about prayer um, that I want to share with you. It actually, you probably got it if you get his emails, but I thought he summarized well it's kind of our, our hesitancy and maybe why we're hesitant to, to go to Jesus, to, to approach that throne. He says, at Christ's death, the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom, which symbolized that we have free access into the Holy of Holies. So why do my feet hesitate rather than running in and taking hold of the mercy seat? I don't know, but I have an inkling. Perhaps prayer is the most face-to-face -face battle with the enemy of our souls, the great dragon, the serpent of old. No one wants to look a powerful enemy in the eyes. Perhaps prayer is the most absolute act of faith. In prayer, my feet go nowhere, but must stand on faith alone. My hands make nothing, but are simply lifted in utter dependence. My voice does not speak for influence, but must cry out to an invisible king in childlike weakness. Prayer is a horrible reminder that without him I can do nothing. And it's that, that hesitancy that I think Jesus understands, right? And yet the invitation from the writer is, let us, right? When you are weak, that is the signal. Let us approach with confidence because he gets you. And so his empathy is your confidence in approaching God's throne of grace. And the final fourth one, he will give you the mercy and grace you need right when you need it. Because this is what Jesus is doing as the great high priest. Great high priest is not a title that he's gloating over, like, check me out. It's, 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 not, it's a role, it's a job, it's what he's working at. He is ministering to us now. And what I love about the book of Hebrews is that it is primarily a book about what Jesus is doing now. So many times we, we talk about what Jesus has done in the past, that he died on the cross, he rose from the grave, he ascended into heaven, and all of that is super important. But all of that creates the opportunity for him to do what he's doing right now, which is ministering to you as your great high priest in this moment. And, and yes, 
he got a golf clap from, yes, that's awesome. That's great, John. He, uh, he rose from the dead. It's, uh... <laughs> oh, boy. You know, Eastside's going to do uh, a weekend seminar on how to clap at church for us, and it's going to be awesome. <laughs> no. So, but what I want you to hear is that he says this. He says, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And what, he, what, what he's saying there is that when we approach him, he is ready in our weakness to go, I, I will give you, I will give you, I will pour out the Father's mercy, I will lavish his grace on you. Today, right this minute, there is a human priest ready to minister to you in heaven, ready to meet you in real time and tend to your soul, Jesus Christ. That is our story, people. And that is what the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell them. Do not latch on to this, this, this false war against Rome and build up this false kingdom that is only going to be temporary here. You need to stand firm because there is an eternal kingdom that is broken in and it's going to be here in its fullness. And right now, if you don't feel like you can stand, you need to go to Jesus. And he right now will meet you and will pour out the grace and the mercy you need to stand. He will be the one that gets us through faithfully to the end. And so when we approach God in our weakness, Jesus is there, he's ready to minister to you. And today, I would just ask you, what is it that you bring? What is that weakness? Where is it that you are tempted to let go of faith rather than grab hold firmly and stand firm in your faith? What false rest are you tempted to give up on Jesus for? Because your faith is weak, your desire is weak, your perseverance is weak. And what I want you to hear today is that when you are your weakest, Jesus is his most sympathetic. And you can go to him in confidence and he will give you the grace you need. Amen? As we prepare for communion, I would just uh, invite the worship team to come and the people at the doors to come for prayer. But part of it, part of the invitation today is to, is to know that, that some of you need to come for prayer today. Um, that, 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 that part of approaching the throne of grace with confidence means 
yeah, I need, I need somebody to help me approach the throne of grace of confidence, right? And, and the beautiful thing about the body of Christ is that we share each other's weakness, that we have been bound together by the Spirit so that we can approach Jesus together, and that he receives us together. And so don't leave here without approaching God's throne. And there are brothers and sisters that will be at the door ready to pray with you and would love to do that. And if they're not at the door, they're probably sitting around you. So you could just ask somebody, would you pray with me uh, as I bring my weakness to the Lord? And to this great and ascended high priest, who today is reigning in heaven, whole and eternal in a glorified body, we remember that the only reason we can approach him is because there was one time where that human body of his was broken and that blood was shed. That cross that stood before him that he would have loved to have, have avoided, he took on so that you and I could approach the throne of grace with confidence. So we remember the sacrifice of the Lord and this bread which is his body broken for you. Let's remember the Lord. In the same way, we take the cup, which is the cup that he prayed to avoid, the cup that he asked the Father, would you allow this cup to pass from me three times? And yet he ended that prayer with, nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. And he was willing to drink the cup, drink it to the full, meaning the cup of suffering, the cup of death. And he was willing to drink it so that you and I might not have to taste the punishment of our sins, but could taste the forgiveness and the righteousness and the mercy and the grace that he offers. This is the Jesus that ministers to us today and this is how he ministered to us with his body broken and his blood shed. And so we drink this in remembrance of that sacrifice. Would you pray with me? Father God, today we come to you in the name of your son. And we declare today that God, when we are weak, you are strong. And we thank you that despite all of our weakness and all the agendas that we wanna grab onto, all the ways that we wanna make our faith easier, more palatable, less challenging, in all our weakness where we don't feel like we have faith, we don't have desire, that not only um, 
Do you give us grace and mercy, but you fully understand, Jesus, because you have been tempted in every way, but you didn't give in. And so we come to you in the weakness of our humanity. We approach you with confidence, knowing that you are sympathetic, empathetic. You get us. And I ask that in this time of worship that you would receive each and every one in each weakness, in each particularity, and that they would approach confidently, not in themselves, but in you. And that no one would walk out of here today without finding that mercy and receiving that grace that you have for us. So meet us now, we pray, in the risen and exalted name of Jesus Christ, our great minister in heaven. We pray this in your name, amen.